0: Go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 8. Kind of going backwards to Proverbs chapter 8. We've been there already. We're going to return there again, kind of as a, as a foundation point. But as you're turning, how many of you at some point in time, as a, as a means of encouragement, somebody, somebody's trying to encourage you with these words. Somebody has said, Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. Have they ever try to encourage you with those words? I think most of us can say yes to that. those words they are being that sticks and stones yeah we all know they will break your bones they will leave bruises and welts and all of those things that come with it but it's a lie when somebody says that words will never hurt because we all know that words can hurt and words can hurt a lot we also know that what we say can never be unsaid once we say it it's it's there, can't take it back it's one of the many reasons why what we say, what we need to understand is that our words matter. Just think about the importance of words for a moment. How one word can change the entire meaning of a sentence, right? Like you include a not or a don't or don't include a not or a don't in a sentence, it will radically change the meaning of a text, right? How I many of you have sent a text and think, ooh, I didn't mean to include a not, I didn't mean to include a don't, or you meant to include one. It changes everything. You start thinking about uh, emails and text messages, you think thinking about social media and Twitter and Facebook and the use of text. And you start realizing that it's important to make sure that we get our words right. Why? Because emotion, context, and meaning are attached to our words. We could be sending a message to somebody that we think oh, is nice be sarcastic. Sarcasm and text messages don't go well. <laughs> <laughs> That's why God created emojis, right? <laughs> I we throw them out of a smiley face and just kidding. We used to use acronyms, right? I say used to, like it was in the olden days. Like we used to talk to each other face to face. But we used to use the acronyms like LOL, right? What does LOL mean? out We'll tell that to the pastor, but I'm sure you've heard the story where the pastor went trying to encourage a family who had recently just lost a a loved one, and and he sent LOL to, to that family in a text message thinking it meant lots of love. His heart was in the right place, but his text was not. He did not know the meaning of LOL, and so he's sending this grieving family to laugh out loud. Can you imagine the grief, the pain that he must have had as a pastor um, in in dealing with that? I mean, I can't imagine. Now, I'm sure we all have story after story. I've already heard of stories out of the first service of of individuals who were saying, I've got my own story of miscommunication, our own various versions of the laugh-out-loud type of of situations. On at least some level, we all understand the importance of words. And just like with friends like we talked about last week, there are good words and there are bad words. And I'm not referring to like George Carlin's, you know, bad words here. Like those are another topic for another day. There are good words, and there are bad words, there are true words, there are false words. When you start looking at the text, you start looking at Proverbs specifically, we see God considers words to be such a big deal. And There are like over 90 Proverbs that are instructing us, counseling with us, how we are to use our our words. We find them all throughout the the text. We see that there are more Proverbs dealing with words than there are with sex or money or family or friends. Which leads us to understand that words matter to God. Our words matter to God. If words matter to us, every one of us, and when we stop and we think about it, we can see that words are a distinct part of being human. They're a distinct part of being created in the image of God, who Himself He created everything out of by what His Word. He holds now all things together in power by the Word of His power. And he brings sinners from spiritual death to life in Christ. How? By his word. The power is found in his word. And then there's this call that is placed upon all Christians to go make disciples of all nations. It doesn't just mean they'll be a good example, though that's important. It's go to use your words. More specifically, go to use the word of God. Proclaim the word of God to all people's teaching them everything that I have commanded you, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, teaching them what it means to to follow Jesus. So needless to say, there is much to discuss here. With Proverbs saying so much on this topic, there's no way that we're going to be able to cover it all. We're not even going to try. But where we want to start is somewhere where we've already been. Proverbs chapter 8. He's talking about wisdom here. We see him picking up in verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, Now, when we looked at this passage a few weeks ago, we looked at the purpose behind these these verses. And we asked a series of questions. We asked, well, could this have been, could he have included this to point out the beauty of creation? We said, maybe. Then we also looked and said, well, could this have been there to show that Christ's involvement in creation? Because clearly... Scripture tells us that all things are created through Christ and for Christ, and He Himself is holding all things together. So, is that the reason that this is in the text? Quite possibly. It's very true. All of that is true. But here, where the author includes it in the text, and what is being said, I think that the clear, overarching emphasis here is that the emphasis appears to remind us that everything God did in creation. That everything that He ever does or will ever do is accompanied with and preceded by wisdom. Everything God does is preceded and brought with wisdom. So then the actual question here is, what is the application here for us? What what does this mean for us? And from this, what it means for us is quite simple. Everything that we say and do also must be accompanied with, and preceded by wisdom. And that is especially true as it pertains to our words. Our words. Before we speak, we should always seek wisdom. Now, we are not very good at that sometimes, are we? How many of us have stuck the proverbial foot in our mouth more times than we can count? <laughs> yeah, we all have. Husbands? Yes. Wives? Yes. Children? Yes. We all have. Before we speak, we know we should seek wisdom, because what we say can never be unsaid. What we say can never be unsaid. So what we're going to do today, coming out of chapter 8, verses 22-31, is we're going to look at five reminders of this, kind of emphasis on this, of why wisdom is so important when it comes to our words. And we're going to take specific Proverbs that are dealing with each one of these things. And again, not going to be able to exhaust them all. But because we're going to be hitting so many of these verses throughout, that we're going to have all of them on the screen today, I still would encourage you to write them down, follow along as you can. But we are going to provide them on the screen today. And starting with Proverbs chapter uh, 20, verse 15, which we'll get to here in just a moment. But point number one, our words are valuable in the eyes of God. Our words are valuable in the eyes of God. Consider Proverbs 20, verse 15. There is gold and abundance of costly stones, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Lips of knowledge here referring to wise words, meaning wise words are considered a precious jewel. And what do we know about precious jewels? They're rare and valuable. There's a valuable place to them. Which means, when we're looking at this in the text, they're, they're rare and they're valuable in the eyes of God. Words themselves, they're always there. They're a dime a dozen, right? We, we know that. There's the talk, 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 talk. The words are there. Distinctly human, but they're there. But wise words, those are rare. Those are like a precious jewel. See, we all know what it's like to listen to someone who doesn't have a clue of what they're talking about, right? right? No pastor jokes here, please. But we all, have a, we all have this understanding. Or the person who is just full of, of hot air. They're just blowing hot air everything that they say. It's like the politicians are the proverbial whipping boy for that one. We, we live in this concept and culture of, of people saying things that they, they never follow up on. But we understand that concept. But we also know, or at least I hope we know, what it's like to to, to sit under someone or to know someone where, when they speak, when they rise, when they raise their hand to speak, everyone else gets silent. Why? Because everyone knows that the words of that individual are wise words. They're like a precious jewel. The very first church I ever served in was just slightly out in the country, and it was. Uh, church was growing and they had a a sanctuary that was one of those straight back sanctuaries. So you take take this section, take out a couple rows in the middle and you said pew for pew for pew for pew and they were looking to expand the the sanctuary backwards because the church had been growing. The problem with that was that a historic tree stood in the path of where the, the building would need to be built. The expansion would need to go. This is a tree where you had weddings outside and picnics and pictures and babies are getting their pictures made and all the this could go on and on. And this, there was a great sentimental value that came with this tree. So there was a meeting that was held to decide okay, what we're we going to do with the tree. How are we going to expand the sanctuary? What are we going to do? And the meeting started to get tense and people were raising their emotions and saying, Well, why they should keep it or why they shouldn't keep it and all these various different things. And then one older gentleman in the church, kind of a patriarch of the church, stood up and he just raised his hand. And slowly but surely the whole room got quiet. And he said, If that tree stands in the way, loves reaching people for Jesus. We need to cut that tree down. And that was the end of the business meeting. (laughs) The vote was taken, and the tree came down, and the sanctuary was extended. Now, why were his words listened to? Because he had built up trust and the understanding that his words were wise. He didn't just speak all the time and full of hot air. It was wise words that came with this man. One example of why wise words are important. Why words themselves are important. They they mean something. Number two, we we look and we say, our words can bring death and they can bring life. Look Look with me at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, where we're told death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Again, the tongue referring to our, our our words here. And from our words can come both death and life. We've all probably heard the expression if looks can kill. <laughs> Most of us have probably received those looks at one time or another. But quite honestly, we understand, it getting serious, that the words can kill. They can hurt deeply. Studies will show that the cause of many suicides is often traced back to words. Maybe there are hurtful words from, that we hear from, from others. Maybe it's a, a bully at school. Maybe it's social media. We never had to deal with social media and bullying and those type of things when I was growing up. But then it's there. Maybe it's coming from so-called friends. If we looked at last week, the bad friends. Maybe it's coming from perfect strangers or maybe they're the words that we speak to ourselves that we hear running through our heads telling us lie after lie that we're not good enough, that life's not worth it. Nobody will ever miss me. And that's you today. Do not believe those lies. You are valuable. You are created in the image of God. And you matter not only to us, but to your creator. They're important. But these lies that we can get in our head can tell us something else. A reminder, the great power of words. Words matter. Again, the application being that wisdom must accompany our words. It must accompany what we say, and it must accompany what we listen to as well. You need to understand even our, our careless words, words that we say in passing that we just don't even think, have a second thought about, they can have a devastating effect on those who hear them. They can. Think about how quickly a negative word can cut you. Like if you hear a hundred affirmations, positives, it's good, it's great, you're doing awesome. I'm so proud of you. I'm encouraged by what the word's doing in your life. I mean, just affirmation after affirmation after affirmation. And then one person throws a negative dark at you. One complaint, and you go home, and what do you find yourself focused on? The negative. You got 100 positives, and you're focusing on the negative. We're all guilty about that. We all are. So the, the best pastoral advice that i ever received, one of the best things of pastoral advice I ever received was be careful who you give power to. Because you, and that doesn't mean like who you necessarily put in a position of authority, though no, that's wise too. Be careful in those situations. But be careful who, who you allow to, to influence your thinking and your emotions. Like you're going to have people who are going to come along and they're just going to say, hey, great job, great job, puff you up, like and all, all those type of things. Be careful with that. Don't let it build up your ego at the same time, be careful of the person who's always complaining. You're always going to throw a negative dart. Always going to have something to say. And the people that you want to listen to in your life, it doesn't mean that you can't learn from from your strongest critics. You can. A wise person will learn from their strongest of critics. But the people that we want to to, to listen to and to trust and to heed those correct corrective words of wisdom are people that we know that have our best interest in mind. So who have the best interest of in the case as a pastor, are like, I want to listen to people who well, I know, not only have my best interest in mind, but the best interest of the church in mind, who have demonstrated over and over and over again that they, they love and they care and they're there for and they're, they're, they're willing to, to come and walk arms and to say things in the right way, even if they may hurt for a period of time. If you know where their heart is, because they've proven it over and over and over again. And then you've got people who all they want to do is complain. That they exist everywhere, in every walk of life. They want to complain about this or complain about that. And they want to talk about this or talk about that. Why do we give them so much credence? <laughs> because that's who they are. That's just what they do. Don't listen to them, don't give them power. It's easier said than done, isn't it? It's easier said than done. When we read Proverbs twelve eighteen, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. We may not give our, our words a second thought, but they can land like swords being thrust in the sun or even straight to the heart. This is why words matter. But now while words can bring death and they can bring pain, they can also bring healing and they can bring life. Think about these powerful words: "I am sorry." I'm not talking about when you just say, tell your kid, "Hey, go, go say you're sorry to your brother." <laughs> go say you're sorry to your sister. Just tell him you're sorry. Baby. Go. I'm talking about the, the genuine. I'm sorry. When you've offended someone else, or someone else has offended you, and you come to one another and you say, "I'm sorry," there's healing in those words. There's life in those words. Maybe that's exactly the reminder that you need today, because maybe there's somebody in your life that you have to forgive, and maybe there's somebody that you need to go and you need to say I'm sorry, or maybe somebody has said that to you and you have not received it. Well, maybe that's you. Well, we can quickly tear one another down with our words. That's easy. We can cut and bring down our, our children and crush their spirits, crush those we love. We, we, also build them up. We can build up. We can encourage and affirm and praise and apologize. All of these things are our necessities. The same must be applied to brothers and sisters in Christ within inside the local church. Intentionally using our, word, specifically the, the word of God, to build up and encourage one another in Christ. We need to be encouraging one another in Christ. Like we each individually need that. <laughs> we need truth, encouragement, being edified in the Word of God. It's a homework assignment this week. Just reach out to somebody who you may not have reached out to in a long time, whether it's inside the church or outside the church. Reach out to them and, and encourage them with the Word of God this week. Just a means of encouragement. Number three, Our words can create division. Our words can create division. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 27. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. As a church culture, there are some sins we have no trouble speaking out of. And I I probably need to revise that because I can't even say a church culture... Because some churches have a very hard time speaking out against certain sins. But there are, are certain sins that, that we see as, clearly, either we know that adultery and homosexuality and abortion, the list people want, are sins that we can kind of throw up as, okay, we'll talk about that one, we'll talk about that one. Yes, they can all have devastating effects upon local churches if they go unaddressed. All of them can. But I have never seen any of them create the division in the church The gospel. Never. Gossip will destroy a church. Verse 28 says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisper separates close friends. Men and women professing Christians who have been friends for as long as they can remember, have been in church together, raised families together, gone on vacation, had a dance, like been in each other's small groups, all of those things. Gossip can enter in and, and divide the church straight down there. Destroying relationships. Proverbs 12, tells us, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. Which again is a reminder that words are important. There are good words and there are bad words. and Good words are always true. Lies, however, are, are not true. They're bad words. They're false words. Lying never builds up. It only divides and it destroys. Which is why we must be careful about what we say. We have to be careful about what we say. At the same time, we have to be careful about what we hear. we back to that again, we have to be careful about what we hear. As Proverbs 17:4 says, an evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar Gives ear to a mischievous tongue. So the gossip is always wrong. The complainer is always wrong. Always. But so is the listener who does not squelch it. God refers to this person as an evil doer. And that's why speech is referred to as a scorching fire. Because division doesn't start with, with, with a fire, it starts with a spark. Just like a forest fire. It doesn't start with the entire forest ablaze. It doesn't start with half the forest on fire. It doesn't start with a quarter of the forest on fire. It starts with a spark. And when that spark is not squelched, when it is not put out, it is not doused immediately, then those flames begin to get fanned and that spark becomes a fire. Same exact thing Is the way many churches have been destroyed. Because it hasn't been put out at the spark. It's been fanned. And the flames being spread. So the question is how do we avoid this from happening at Hurston? Let's be proactive here. How do we avoid this from happening here? Fire prevention. Fire prevention. We, we always want, want to know four things if we're in a conversation with somebody. It, one, is what's being said any of no your business? All right? Like, is it any of your business that we be talking about? My business, your business? Is it anybody's business that we be talking about this? Number two, is it true? Is it true? Three, is it edifying? Is what's being said, is it edifying? And four, does what's being shared need to be shared? It's a less Southern way of rephrasing number one, right? Does what is needing to be shared, is being shared, does it need to be shared? And if the answer to any of these is no, then we don't share. We don't share. So when we find ourselves as a listener in a situation like this, if someone is sharing a problem that they have or with someone or something or they're gossiping about this or that, the, the first thing that we want to do in every situation is politely interrupt them. This is where we all get a little bit nervous. Like, I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be rude. Like, just interrupt them. Okay. I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm sorry to in- interrupt. But have you gone to this person about this? Have you gone directly to this person about this? And 9 times out of 10, the answer to that is no. Actually, 99 out of 100 times, the answer is likely no. They haven't. They're just voicing their frustrations. They're voicing their concerns. or something they've heard someone else say that may not even be true. So we want to squelch that. We go to the source. And after that, you want to make sure what you've heard is true just need to be born all together or if you want to make sure that you heard it's just you, go to the source. If it's really bothering you, go to the source. And above all things, don't spread it. Don't share it. Don't fan the flames. This is a spot where we can just camp out so much longer. <laughs> like every one of these points can be its own sermon, but we're not going to do that. We're going to move on to number four. Number four, our words can instruct. They should instruct. Look at Proverbs ten eleven. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. We've talked already about how our words can hurt and heal, how they can bring division, but they can also instruct. They should instruct. Well, that's why God says the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. There are words, uh, uh, these are the words that we see throughout Proverbs as the words of the Father to His Son. He's instructing His Son how what it means to be on and remain on the path of righteousness. He's talking to his son. He's instructing him and saying, I want you to be on the path of righteousness. I so don't want you going down the path of folly. Here's how you stay on the path of righteousness. He's instructing. He's giving counsel. He's giving advice. He's giving wisdom. But wise instruction like this also has to be delivered wisely, doesn't it? There's a way that it has to be delivered. Think about the words of Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Think about it this way. You're talking to a friend, a spouse, a child, whoever it might be, and you're attempting to bestow wise wisdom upon them. And let's just assume it is wise. It is the best wisdom that you could possibly ever give them. They need this wisdom. How you deliver it will determine how it is heard and applied, if it's applied at all. It is the delivery matters. You deliver it harshly, even if it's true, it has the propensity, the possibility of stirring up anger. We've experienced that. Somebody tells you something soft. My dad would, would come, and not being mean, but he'd call from work sometimes, and say, "Hey, Jeremy, have the yard mowed by the time I get home." Oh man, got muddy water. And then the other times he would call and say. Hey, hey, Jeremy, I've had a really rough day at work today. I really need the yard move by the time I get home today. All right? He's still telling me to do it. But it's coming at a different tone. It's still a <laughs> But my attitude in receiving is, is, is totally different. This is what we, on the other hand, when we see it, if we, if we, if we deliver something gently, if we deliver it softly, it has that ability to turn away wrath. We've all seen those types of situations where somebody's delivering some really hard truth, but they deliver it in such a way that it's soft and it's gentle, and it's like, I just received a rebuke, but I feel like I was encouraged. (laughs) That's good. That's the way it it, it should be in so many ways. But our, our best of intentions can go right out and down the drain if we're not wise with our communication. Like choose the right emoji, right? <laughs> You've got to make sure that we're communicating this rightly. Tone matters. And number five, our words can defend. As Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 reads, Open your mouth for, for, for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy." Now by, by nature, we're a people who are quick to defend ourselves, aren't we? Somebody, even if it's saying something wise to us, instructing us in love, we kind of want to be like, hey, hold up. I'm going to tell you why I don't need that. And you might not say it out loud, but that's the way we are. We're prone to want to defend ourselves. But sometimes the best defense is just silence. Just, just silence. Why? Because that's exactly what we see from Jesus. It's exactly what we see from Jesus. Look at first Peter chapter 2, verse 22. He never said a deceitful or wrong word, not one, ever came from his mouth, ever. Like, not even as a five-year-old did he ever have a deceitful or wrong word ever come from his mouth. <laughs> That's Christ. Yet, all the way up until his crucifixion, Isaiah 53, seven tells us, he was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet, he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. The sinless Son of of God, standing condemned before his accusers, and he gave no defense for himself. But while he did not look to defend himself, he did look to defend those who cannot defend themselves. Speaks for us. He defends us. He right now is our advocate. He is our intercessor before God the Father. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So where we are condemned as guilty, dead in our sin, Jesus stands in our place and he cries out innocent. We are innocent. When he cried out the three words on the cross, it is finished. Those final three words he declared through those words, that your punishment and my punishment and the punishment for everyone who believes and trusts in Christ as their only hope in life and in death, that punishment was paid in full. It is finished. The judgment that you deserve, you deserve no more. Words matter. Words matter. There's healing in those words. There's life in those words. And what we, as followers of Christ, need to understand is that we have an obligation. We have an obligation as we walk and we follow Christ, we have an obligation to open our mouths for the mute, for the destitute, to defend the poor and the needy. So, matters of, of social justice, immigration, ethnic discrimination, abortion, abuse. These are not just mere political issues. These are not mere political talking points. They're first and foremost biblical issues. And yes, they are complicated. And neither the Democrats nor the Republicans have this right. And I'm not saying that I have all the right answers. It is a complicated issue. But our answers will not be found in the House of Representatives. Our answers are in the Word of God. But while our first inclination at all times can often be to defend ourselves, to stand for ourselves, to think about our borders, to think about our bodies, to think about our rights and our families, we who are in Christ have an obligation to speak on behalf of our fellow image our fellow image bearers, and to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We have an obligation, a mandate from Scripture to take the gospel to all peoples, to those who have never heard. As we looked at the catechism, Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The everyone is both Jews and Greeks, the the red, yellow, black, or white, the, the poor, or the rich, everyone. There are no borders when it comes to the kingdom of God. There are no ethnicities when it comes to the kingdom of God. There is one race, the human race, that is united together in Christ. Or, we will receive the judgment of God. We either believe or we don't. (laughs) But then the question comes, how then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in Him whom they have never heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? Proclaiming, telling, sharing the good news. How will they do this? The answer is they can't, they, they, they won't. It's the necessity of words in salvation. Words are essential. It's sharing the gospel. Example isn't enough. Example is important. But example is enough. We'll never lead somebody to Christ by just being a good example. We must use words to share and explain the gospel. Why? Verse 17. Because faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So whether it's sign language, or, or whether it's Braille or, or whether it's words that are audible words that are coming out, words are necessity for sharing the gospel. We must hear and work before we can believe. And it's not a, it's just essential that we share words, because again, words are a dime a dozen, but we share God's word. God's word. It's God's word that is true. And it's God's word that brings new life, and it's God's word that will last forever. We look and see in First Peter one twenty three: since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all of its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls the word of the Lord remains forever. And that's why it's upon His word, the gospel, that God has chosen to build His church. Because it will last forever and ever. It is a good word. It is a lasting word. And it's a reminder that our words matter. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for Your good word. We thank You for Your Son, Jesus, who is the Word in flesh. And it is through Your Word, the Bible, that You have chosen to reveal Yourself to us, to reveal Your plan of salvation, to tell us how we who are followers of You are to live. And for we who are Your followers, who are called children of God I pray we will be faithful with our words faithful to seek wisdom when we speak may we be a people who, who build up, not tear down unite, not divide help us squelch these sparks of gossip and refuse to fan the flames of disunity may we be united around your word And seek to faithfully share it both locally and globally. Proclaiming it for everyone to hear. Lord, we trust in you to bring life. Let your word do your work. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.